Welcome to Beatles Stuffology, where two old friends sit about and talk BS, Beatles stuff, on a track-by-track -track basis pretty much for the sake of it. My name is JG McCording, and I'm here with my co-host Andrew Deacon. Say hi, Andrew. Hello. How are you doing this week? Um, yeah, I'm doing fine. I'm feeling inspired and fresh and ready to go. Is any Listener, of that true? I'm not. <laughs> Good. So we're off to a cracking start. Well, um, yeah, this week we are going to plod on through with the Beatles, which means we're covering the second song, which means we are talking about All I've Got To Do and all those various harmonies therein. So how is this one? Right. OK, so let's start here with the disclaimer. If anyone has managed to listen to more than about two of these, they'll probably be aware that um, I'm not the biggest fan of John Lennon's singing voice. However, this is another one on which I think he does a cracking job. I think there's a really good vocal here. And I know you made the, the, the little dig, the slight dig about the harmonisation. But I think all round, it really works on this. There's, there's a lot going for it. I'm, I'm going to go as far to say that I think this is a vastly underrated Beatles track. It wasn't a dig. Um, I actually like the harmonies on this, but they are very much a standout feature of the track. Um, I, I sort of more or less agree with all of that. I, I think that this is a really strong performance and really unusually vulnerable performance for Lennon at this stage in his career. Um, and that really helps to kind of sell the lyric. The lyric isn't the most sophisticated in the world, but it does avoid a lot of kind of classic Lennon pitfalls. It doesn't feel possessive in, in the way that we've sometimes talked about before. Um, and it feels like a lyric that he's really getting behind as well. So he's he's being prepared to make himself seem vulnerable in a way that isn't that common for Lennon at this stage in his career. I think it turns into an absolutely terrific vocal. And I must be honest, I'd kind of forgotten about this song uh, when we started this. It's definitely one that didn't really click particularly when we got to it. But I think you're right. I think it kind of is underrated, or at least it certainly is in, in my own sort of pantheon of Beatles appreciation. This is this is pretty good stuff. It is, absolutely. I, th I think the, the, the lyric point is a, is a really interesting one. Because it, the lyrics contrast with the title. Okay, so point in case. All I've got to do. Nice and formal, straightforward. You actually listen to what he's singing, though, and it's a lot of wanners and gotters uh, in there. All I gotta do. He doesn't sound, you know, there's no way is he enunciating all I've got to do. So I find it intriguing that the title is all I've got to do. As though someone has insisted that, no, 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 you must write that formally. We are English, after all. Well, I think that is the contrast. I think the All I've Got To Do does make it sound like the song has been written by an English group. But the, the wanners and gotters and all that kind of stuff makes it sound kind of very Americanized. It's very slang. And I, I know we'll, we'll have a bit of a discussion about this and, and the whole kind of uh, Smokey Robinson influence. But yeah, all that kind of stuff, the gotters and the, and the you know, these, these little Americanisms which are coming in feel of a piece of the music i think the i think it fits the music much better than if it was more kind of formally written out but yeah there's there's unquestionably a contrast there and while we're on the lyrics um i don't know if you you recall think think all those years ago to your childhood um how many oh telephones did you have in the house growing up how many telephones telephones two, two. you had two yeah Wow, so yeah. middle class. <laughs> right? Presumably <laughs> one was in the hallway. One was in the hallway and one was in my parents' bedroom. Oh, oh, hello. Right, <laughs> okay, so you can never be sure if they were listening in. Oh, always, uh, always best to be careful. Yeah, uh, it's safe to assume, isn't it? I mean, a lot of us over here would have grown up with 
you know, uh, a telephone in the hallway. And we're talking 70s and 80s. But then actually, even thinking back, I know from talking to my parents about it, even in the 70s, not every house would have had um, its own telephone at that point. It's something that came in a bit later in that decade. So I quite like the idea that all he's got to do is call you on the phone and you'll come running home. Um, that's 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 good. Don't think that a lot of people in, in Britain would have gone, oh, right, okay, telephone? I got one of them. Um, but I did read somewhere that, that it was suggestion is that this is written very much for the American market and that reference would, would seem to uh, to make that suggestion. Yeah, Lennon mentioned that in uh, an interview that he he had sort of specifically written it for the American market, and I think that does really come through in all kind of aspects of the song. So the the the, the music does feel very um, very much of that kind of Smokey Robinson style. The lyric is hanging on to that. The delivery is hanging on to that. Uh, the harmonies kind of come from a lot of the you know the stuff that we've talked about before in terms of girl groups, in terms of you know these kind of quite sophisticated harmonies, quite quite well put together. In fact, if I think if I had an adjective for this song, it might well be sophisticated. Um, I think this is quite a sophisticated piece of writing by kind of early Beatles standards. Yeah. And you know, yeah, I, I think the Americanisms do very much come through. The, the phone thing, I suppose, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I can definitely see that. I think that sophistication um, also comes across in the structure of the song because there isn't really, it's not really a verse-chorus-verse-chorus kind of song, but what you get instead is that, that up-tempo um, section um, part of the way through, you know, and the same goes for me whenever you want me at all. And it, it doesn't really kind of lift it in the way that a, a chorus traditionally would, but it just seems like they're, they're, they're putting something in that's a little bit different to anything else that their competitors are going to do. So look at us, we're playing with form, we're playing with rhythm, we're playing with tempo, and we're giving you something that is kind of like building to a little climax within the song before then dropping the mood again. And, and I really like it. For me, that, that stands out um, from... You know, the, a lot of the other songs that they, they've written so far, it feels like there's that increasing maturity that we spoke about on the last podcast. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree with that. I mean, the, the structure of the song is basically uh, verse, middle eight, verse, middle eight, and we're done. That's that's pretty much the, the yeah. structure of it. Um, and although the um, All I Gotta Do's um, kind of function the way as a, a chorus would. It gives a little bit of release from the kind of the tension of the verses. It's still not like a, a, a traditional chorus in any sense of the word. And it is quite, quite different when you compare it to, yeah, not just um, a lot of the contemporaries, but a lot of the other songs that we've covered. It does have a confidence about it that they can, they can pull this off. It, it's not... Uh, it's not a song which is shy about putting forward the best elements of the group. And I mean, particularly, I mean, we've talked about the vocal and the lyric, but um, I mean, you mentioned the tempo. It's my Ringo moment, but he's great on this song. He's getting all the offbeats, all that kind of, all that stuff, which again comes from a lot of kind of like the Temptations, the Miracles, a lot of that kind of style, but it's also very distinctively him as well. It's a really impressive performance from Ringo, but it's very much kind of downplayed it's not emphasized in the track as well and if anything that kind of makes me appreciate it even more it's not flashy it's not a big standout but it's exactly the scaffolding that the rest of the song needs to be built around do you think that um that sort of uh, you know 
state. I mean, I, I, I wrote down the phrase conscious competence, which I think is, is you know, what it is. It's very much yeah. them being aware of, of what they're doing at this stage. They're not just sort of plucking them from the ether. They're really working on doing this deliberately. But that sort of almost conscious, understated um, element of it, even down to the way that the, the song finishes, could be a reason why it was never played live. I mean, I think it could be, yeah. I, th- I definitely think there's um, there's some wisdom in that, some truth to that. I think also, I, I mean, you mentioned this, I think, in the last episode as well, just the sheer rate that they were churning out songs. Not, yeah. not everything's going to make it on stage. But I do think, I think that underplayed element of it is also what lends its kind of emotional impact because it is it is a bit kind of um, downbeat, particularly on the on the verses. And, and that slight understatement also gives it a little bit more kind of emotional power, a little bit more of an emotional push to it. I think it's, I think it's, I think it's deeply effective. I kind of regret that this is one of the songs that hasn't been played live because I, I would kind of love to hear them, you know, how they could manage this on stage. It's not a really difficult song. It's, it's the usual kind of half dozen chords, but they're assembled in such a, uh, a way that there's real... Yeah you know strength to that construct and it's it would be great to hear them do do it live there's a version of this song on spotify by susanna hoffs of the bangles um which is kind of interesting to listen to in comparison simply because it's another one of those tracks whereby if you it's performed almost exactly the same way as the beatles version there's there's very little interpretation of the song so it's got the same offbeat it's got the same rhythm uh, it's more or less just played straight. Um, but again, the Beatles just have that unbelievable ability to make their competence sound effortless. Like There's nothing wrong with the Susanna Hoffs version. It's perfectly competent. She's got good vocal. But like her band just can't, just can't deliver in the same way at all. It's really... It's really average. There's nothing wrong with it, but there's nothing right with it either. It simply exists as, as two and a half minutes of music. Whereas there's something... That effortlessness, that effortless capturing of the style and the the cadence and the mood and the rhythm that they're going for, it's just there. It's such a it's such a talent, and it looks like nothing at all. It's interesting that it, effectively the song's life ends in what November sixty three when when the album's released. Yeah, you know the the Beatles. You know, played it in um, was it September when it was you know recorded? You know, they might have played it a little bit in rehearsal before then to get the hang of it. But after the the eleventh of September, nineteen sixty three, they conceivably never played it again. Probably rarely thought about it. I don't think it comes up in um, any of the the get back recordings, does it? It's not one of the ones that they yeah, not that they I revisit. Um, you know and. It, it just seems uh, sad that something that's that's a little gem in some ways just just dies a little other than for you know some of the people who would listen to it and and like us i suppose you know keeping the flame alive um for, <laughs> you know because it's it, it, it's really good um you know and and okay so i'm i'm kind of struggling to to really um you know, get too excited about this because it is—it's—it's it's a really good song, but it's not one of the the sort of the standout songs. It's—it's—it's it's, it's pretty good, and and I just keep sort of shrugging my shoulders every so often, going, "It's pretty good. It's pretty good." Like I'm on a loop, but it's hard to kind of drill down and 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 actually sort of 
tease out what it is other than you know it's it's pretty good <laughs> just like stuck on a loop <laughs> well i think also i mean we've talked a little bit about sort of stylistic pastiche before on on the podcast and it's, it is that that thing it, it's interesting also i think because it's usually mccartney that does the kind of stylistic pastiche he's he's very very good at that in fact i would go so far as to say it's one of his kind of key skills um, as a musician and as a songwriter, he's very good at being able to adapt to almost any kind of style or genre. And it's not that common that Lennon does the same thing. This is very, very clearly, uh, you know, a Lennon yeah. song. Everything about it just screams John Lennon. But the fact that it is that kind of pastiche in style, maybe it's pastiche is too strong. I don't mean that to sound sort of condemnatory, but it, it, it's very clearly aping a, a specific yeah. style. And that's not that common for Lennon. Lennon tends to write John Lennon songs and not necessarily a lot else for, for good and ill. But but here we really see him him stretching himself. I know in the Ian McDonald book, it's this this is um, uh, compared to Depend On Me, uh, the Smokey Robinson song. And uh, listen to that before we record it as well. It's 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 not a great, it's not the finest moment. I think it's fair to say it's really kind of cheesy and treacly and 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 uh, not great. But but some of the influence does come through, particularly that first kind of opening chord, which is just strummed once and then the song start. That's very clearly a direct lift. Lift um, and the lyric is sort of vaguely similar. I have to say, uh, all I've got to do is a far far better song. It's a better performance and it's much better written. So in this case, it's not just stylistic pastiche. It's actually taking something in a specific style and doing it better than the thing that he's lifting from. I'm not saying that they are always going to be better than in that in doing this style than Smokey Robinson. But in this particular case, that's not really like Smokey Robinson's best song. And Lennon kind of taking lifts and doing something different with similar material is actually improving on the original which is again that's that's not nothing and for Lennon it's it's really unusual to see him operating in that kind of way which again I think just makes this all the more kind of an interesting yeah little gem as you say. Okay so there's two things based on what you've just said firstly I'd, I'd say it's probably got more in common with um, you've really got a hold on me I think there's 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 echoes there. it's like it's an up-tempo version of that but then the Beatles always write fast songs in the mm. main. It's amazing how often that comes up. Secondly, you were unhappy with pastiche. You thought pastiche was, was unfair, so you went for aping instead. <laughs> yeah, I'm not saying it's a perfect synonym, but, you know, I, I was trying to uh, try to find a different way of expressing the same thing. I'm sure if I concentrate hard, I'll, I'll come up with a better synonym. I, I would say that aping, aping is worse than pastiche. Yeah, I suspect you're probably yeah, right. Yeah, okay. There. I all just, right, just wanted right. to see whether or not that was... Uh, um, the Lennon estate should be in touch any time now. Well, if Yoko wants to give us a call, she's, she's, she's more than welcome to. I would, would happily have a conversation with her about my choice of vocabulary. I would imagine, ironically, she's probably got corporations who do that for her. I suspect that might well be the case. Yeah. Take that, Yoko. Yeah. Yeah. That'll, that'll bring Good. down your, uh, uh, your empire. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, Yoko at this stage is not even a glint in Lennon's eye. No. Because this is, I mean, I suppose actually that, that that's sort of a relevant point because, of course, this is a, a Lennon for whom art is things like Smokey Robinson and the Miracles, you know, the, that, that sort of other level of consciousness that he taps into later is still something that is, is kind of lurking in, in the background with his, his old art school, um, 
you know, understanding, um, but it's not really something that's driving his his own art in a way. Um, maybe. I mean, the fact that he's prepared to take this kind of music and be influenced by it and write in that kind of style, maybe that's a better way of saying it. He writes in the style of, that's better than both aping and pastiching. Um, the fact that he's prepared to do that uh, does sort of indicate that he is maintaining that very kind of open mind. Uh, there isn't, a, as, and again, please please feel free, listeners, to correct me if I'm wrong on this, but there isn't, as far as I know, like a Jerry and the Pacemaker song that sounds a bit like Smokey Robinson. There isn't going to be a Dave Clark Five song which sounds a bit like The Temptations or whatever. So, you know, they, there, there is still that kind of very open-minded and sort of uh, approach to absorbing and uh, very much in inverted commas here, art, whether that art is music or literature or, or painting or photography, you know, obviously from the Hamburg days, you know, there's a lot that Lenin can incorporate into that. And, 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 and doing it in such an explicit and such a specific style like this still stands out. You know, there is, there, well, we'll get to, uh, you really got a hold on me later on in this album, of course. Um, but it will be interesting to do a compare and contrast with that song and this one when we get to uh, the, the real deal, when we're actually talking about Smokey Robinson song. Okay, so there's two things on that, again. Okay, <laughs> Firstly, um, yeah, the album came out in November 63, uh, and November 66 is when Lennon met uh, Yoko for the, the first time. So actually, again, it's another one of those indications, isn't it, of the acceleration of, of their lives. That, Absolutely. That it's only another three years before everything for him changes you know almost totally and utterly and and the second thing is it's a really a good sign that um it's it's a decent enough song but we're struggling for things to say about this now um so um i mean i i, I will bring it back to the song in the sense that um that it is worth mentioning the fade out because yep. the fade out is in itself another really good and yet understated element of the song um you know it it it, it's mostly sort of instrumental and if i'm right in thinking it's it's lennon effectively humming over the top i think it's i think i think i'm right when i say it's lennon and mccartney humming and harmonizing over the top yeah so it's not as though this you know repeat chorus ad infinitum um you know it's it's not like we're getting three million hey Judes while this is going on. This this is this is subtle. This is you know saying well okay all right fair enough you you've had the best part of the song we're just going to leave you with that now that's perfectly okay and I like that I do as well and the humming is a, I, I kind of I kind of warm to that as well. There's something quite nice about it and it's yeah. very it's very unusual. I can't think of another example uh, of a Beatles song which has that in it and maybe there is one but I, I can't immediately pull one to mind I mean it's, it's worth pointing out that there will be those who will see it as um, as a lack of imagination oh we couldn't think anything else to put in there but it's nice not to have one of those those um, those endings like last week's one uh, or the last episode um, where you can imagine them bowing at the end um, you know which which on quite a lot of them you can as as fine as as you know the songs may be you know, it's it's a little bit of a problem. So, you know, it won't be long. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I belong to you and bow. You know, great song. I really like it won't be it won't be long. 
but I like the fact that this just takes us out in a different way and shows us a slightly different side to what they're trying to do. Well, the fade, I think, also is something that works very well for the kind of the emotion of the song. It's not a, the whole thing is it's this kind of, you know, the lyric for, for all that it's not, you know, the deepest ever. It's this kind of, you know, I want to be with you, you want to be with me. and But it's an ongoing thing. And so having the song fade out at the end rather than come to a clean stop implies that kind of ongoing nature of the of, of the relationship if that's not too um too much of an overread uh, but it, it 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 fits the cadence of the song it, it emotionally it, it dissipates the energy which has been brought up in the song that whole that whole moment in the um the middle eight um where you get the you just gotta call on me and it's got a real kind of power to it and then the song kind of pushes itself back down into that kind of original register again and then we get to the fade with the hums it, it provides a nice kind of um sort of musical geometry if that's not too awful an expression um to guide the listener kind of through that part of the song and then back out as the song fades out. I, I think it's really i think you're right it is understated but it's really effective in in the way that it kind of kind of leads the listener down the garden path and and sort of follows that sort of emotional arc so, okay, guess how many things I've got? Oh, is it somewhere between one and three? <laughs> well, first things first, folks. Listeners, you've been uh, treated to both of us having a go at singing in this episode. Um, and the second one is, you know, sort of um, sitting there listening to you at the start of that, um, for some reason just popped into my head um, that moment in Hitchhikers where they're doing the TV report when Seyfod has, um, has stolen the... Um, uh, or what's it called? The Heart of Gold. Heart of Gold. I think. Yeah. Um, and they they cut to this um, his shrink, who says, "Oh, Zephyr's just this guy, you know." And I'm thinking, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, oh, it, it, I just struggle to over intellectualize this song. Um, and and I think that's yeah, <laughs> it makes for a, a very strange discussion, doesn't it? Okay. Uh, yes. <laughs> this is just this song, you know. Yeah, it's just a song. Um, all right, before we get into any more comedy accents, shall we? Uh, shall we give this song a score and wrap things up? Oh well, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about this whole score thing. Yes, you do. No, well, I mean, it's fine if if um, if I want to equate it to it won't be long. Yeah. Um. Then you know, I'd say it's probably on a par or maybe a little bit better i noticed um on the old uh, google sheet you've been giving some old half marks to, to hedge your bets slightly i think mean, that's 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 not in the spirit really is it really you don't approve of half marks in the spreadsheet uh, i think you need to kind of nail your colors to the mast and say all right, right it's either I'll one like thing it. or another I shall have to go back and reconsider my scores then. Well, then you'll be grateful that the formulas have been put in place for you, wouldn't you? So you don't have to then adjust the totals and the average score yourself. It's all been done for you, Mr. IT man. Um, okay. I don't know. It's a, it's a it's a six or a seven, isn't it? I mean, it's... Well, that's, I, I myself would say six and a half, but I'm not like to. Well, I don't know. I mean, I think it's worth having. Because, I mean, why, why just stop at six and a half? Why, why can't it be like six and a quarter? Because it's better than a six and a quarter. Okay, but is it not uh, six and two thirds? Well, I don't think it's quite six and two thirds. I would say it's. Uh, I would say it's six and a half, and you can tell that because I said it was six and a half. What would they have to do to have made it a six and two thirds? 
Um, let's give them some feedback. Okay. Um, what would they have had to have done to make it six and two thirds? And if you Ooh. can't, then that makes it a flaw in the whole the whole format. I uh, they could have done a three part harmony with George. Right. Okay. Okay. Right. I'll um I'll let you have that, but I'll be quizzing you in future weeks. Okay. Uh, especially okay. So I'm allowed to keep half marks as long as I can justify it. Is as that what as you're long saying, as you can think on your feet and come up with a spurious uh, reason off the top of your head. Yeah, that's fine. Okay. Fine. So you're going for a six, and I'm going for a six and a half. Hang on. No, I saying? said it's a six or a seven. I haven't decided yet. I oh, all right. Sorry, I didn't mean to preempt your decision. There. I, I've gone for seven. Go for seven. Even though you haven't put the song title in yet. No, I'll, I'll I'll do that in in a very short <laughs> second. <laughs> yeah, but I, do I trust you? Because all for all I know, you'll go and write Mister Moonlight in, and then you'll well, protect that area, so I can't edit it. And then suddenly, I've given Mister Moonlight seven out of ten. I hadn't thought that, but now you've put an idea in my head. <laughs> yeah, if only we'd recorded this in some kind of way, so you could go back and check the honesty of the figures I put in. Mm. All right, let's let's um, let's leave it there. Then uh, we have a six and a half and a seven for this particular song. Um, you can contact us by email. We are Beatlesstuffology at gmail.com We are on Twitter at Beatles underscore ology, and you can find more of my writing at www.jgmcquarry.scot. Please like, rate, and review us on whatever podcatcher you're using so that more people can find the show. Uh, next week, we will be carrying on through with the Beatles, which means we are going to be covering all my loving. And as always, we hope you're going to join us for it. But until then, keep listening.